What happened to music that meant something? The Who at the Kingdom or Kiss at the Coliseum. Where is the Misty Mountain Hop? Where is the is the smoke on the water? Where is the Iron Man of today? Hey, this is not a test. This is rock and roll. On their most recent album, Arc Punk's Savages channel their sonic intensity into fearless love songs. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. We'll have an in-studio conversation and performance by Savages. And later, we'll review albums by electronic artist DJ Shadow and neo-soul pioneer Maxwell. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and that is the song T-I-W-Y-G from our guest this week, Savages. Last week, Greg, we went through some of our favorite albums of 2016 so far, and the glaring omission that we both held back was Savage's sophomore release, Adore Life. We knew we'd be talking with the band and having them perform this week. Let's talk about that album for just a second now, Greg. I may be a little more prone to hyperbole than you are, but I've said this before. I say it again. I stand by it. Savages is the most exciting band I've seen since Nirvana in its prime. And that holds as well for their recordings. I love Adore Life. So much anger and just fury at the the solipsism of the digital age on their debut album. Who would have expected for the second time in the studio that they turn to love songs? Well, that first album, Silence Yourself, as you said, was so much in your face. And this is in some ways a left turn. We weren't expecting an album quite like this, and I think that's what makes this such a brilliant band, is that they're able to make two distinctive albums a couple years apart so early in their career. I mean, this is a great band. We, we saw how great they were live, seeing them in Austin, Texas at the South by Southwest Music Conference the first time, yeah. in 2013, and then two months later, making their Chicago debut in a live performance on Sound Opinions. That was a remarkable show. I still go back to that video often to remind myself of what a great live performance can be. And now they're touring again. And if you have not seen Savages Live, you get one impression of them from the albums, but it's the live show that I think is just extraordinary, one of the great live bands of our era. Again, another 90s reference, but I don't mean this derivatively. I have not seen artists spend so much time in the arms of the crowd, (laughs) tearing down that wall between audience and performers since Jenny Beth. On this tour, she has been singing, you know, 75% of the set out in the crowd. It's really a galvanizing spectacle. Every member of this band uh, bringing something really unique and the songwriting just unbelievably intense. Jenny Beth is an amazing singer, Jim, not only as a live performer, but on record as well. 
the nuance in her vocal delivery on this re- on this new record especially is uh, a profound change from the first record. But the entire band is is really a quite an instrument in itself. Uh, Gemma Thompson on guitar creating a new vocabulary for what six strings and a punk of wood can do in the 21st century. Aisha Hassan on bass is, I think, the band's secret weapon in many ways, creating the foundation for for these songs with a an almost a lead instrument kind of vocabulary on the bass. And then Faye Milton on drums brings a real orchestral touch in the way that she's able to color in the songs. I think the versatility of this band is borne out by the fact that this new record is dealing with love songs. It's a pretty extreme change in subject matter yeah, for this yeah. for this band because uh, the first time through Sound Opinions, they told us, we hate love songs. We don't <laughs> want to write love songs. Now they're writing love songs. So when they came through the studio uh, recently, I had to ask Jenny Beth about her change on this particular subject. Well, I mean, on the first record, Silence Yourself, I think we wanted to talk about things that really mattered to us. And at the time, it was not love. It was the idea of trying to find a voice. They were self-affirming songs, songs about pointing out what's wrong. They were angry songs, which are very positive angry songs. The two records kind of respond to each other in a way. The first record is about the anger. Maybe the second record is about the soul behind the anger. What do you find once you've pointed out what's wrong? Mm-hmm. Love songs is a very fertile territory for rock songs, pop songs, whatever you want to call them. Approaching that subject that's really loaded and has been done to death by a million bands, what kind of a take did you want to bring to it that would differentiate what Savages is doing versus, you know, that, that long history? You know, there's different ways of talking about love, as you said, but if you, if you talk about love on a acoustic guitar, if you talk about love on a distorted bass, I mean, it has a different meaning. It brings different emotions, and we definitely wanted to explore the byproducts of love. Like, if you have a desire or a passion for something, it also brings a lot of frustration, fear of the abandoned, or jealousy. All these feelings are the part of being alive. And For example, like a song like The Answer, when we had the riff and everything, the line, love is the answer, came only afterwards. It wasn't part of the text originally. But the music was so violent and loud and etc. that... It was. It seemed okay to say such a naive thing, you know? mm-hmm. to be vulnerable. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear from this band because I, I remember the first time seeing you, my first reaction is you want to take a step back. There was something a little scary about you guys, I have to say. I'm not saying that in an insulting way. It was, I, I was waiting for you to get to that word. Really? They, they can be scary. <laughs> there was an attitude uh, about the band, and I think the last band I expected to doing an album with a title called Adore Life was this band. And <laughs> was part of it, Gemma, the aspect of surprise? Let's do something no one expects, do something different. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it all makes sense in a way. Like the, it's, almost, it's like the natural progression, and it feels very instinctive to get to this point now looking back. And I think a, a lot came with it from 
because after touring the first record, we didn't really have a pause in between. So I feel like we, we learned a lot from touring together, learned a lot about the energy from the crowd with our energy and how to trust ourselves and each other as musicians. And we became better musicians as well, I think, in that in that term. <laughs> well, and I think one thing that some critics who have been harping about the love song aspect of the new album are missing is that the anger the first time around was not nihilistic. It was not let's drown out the world and, and destroy the world. It was anger at, at things being less than ideal. And, and if you have expressed that anger, then the other half of it is, well, what do you champion, right? Mm. Isa, would you buy that? Yeah, I guess, well, like this record, it's, it's about the contrast. I think, you know, for the first record, we, we, there was this anger that came across. Doesn't mean that there was humor in what we were doing at the time as yeah. well. And it's just a, something that, you know, people were focusing on. I think what we tried to do with this record is to try and balance that out and kind of show that actually, you know, there's a spectrum of human emotions that you can have. And it's, it's fine to have those and express those. Well, and, and there's a joy when yeah. when the four of you are doing what you do on stage, and, and Faye is back there in the, in the drum booth, right? I, I've rarely seen a drummer who loves to play as much as you. You know, I mean, you just attack those drums, right? And, and so I don't think there's an irony in a door life. There, there's a joy in doing what you're doing, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's throwing yourself into life with all of that amount of energy and passion. Well, we want to hear some more from the band, but we also want to hear some music. And you have a great new album out called Adore Life. What are we going to hear first? We're going to play Adore, if that's okay. Beautiful. Whatever you want to do is okay no, with us. Thank you. That's why we love coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I adore 
That is Adore from Savages on Sound Opinions. What a song, the centerpiece of Adore Life in many ways, the new album. There's a backstory to that song, I know, Jenny, and I think that it contextualizes what's going on there. And I think it gets at the heart of this album, this, this whole idea that love is sort of a two-pronged hmm. kind of thing. Tell us about the inspiration for that particular song. Uh, I went to a bookshop and I found a book called Against Nature by Minnie Bruce Pratt. She's a, a poet and she she was married. She had two kids. Um, she fell in love with a woman and felt the desire to leave and leave everything behind. Through, through that experience, she became a poet. She started writing. And that's the part that really touched me. I would just like the idea of how complicated it was because life is complicated. And for me, that was an example of a hard decision that you sometimes have to make in life. And life is about choices. And I'm always really impressed by the courage that people have when they they do these kind of things to save their lives in a way. And when I say save their lives, I mean save their soul, you know, and, and become the people they're supposed to become.
Jim, I, you're one of those guitar players I think has defined their own style in a way that's really amazing and to bring some of those textures into the studio recording of, of this record and, and, and your, your guitar sound in particular. The first record was very much a document of the live performance. So this record, we could go deeper with each of our own instruments. Yeah, I feel like it's a very instinctive thing and there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's more of a lushness to a lot of sound. What informed your attitude about the guitar? Because it sounds sounds like to me you treat it more as a sound machine rather than, yeah, you know, this vocabulary that, of Eric Clapton or BB King licks. You know, I guess that's it. The idea that every part of the guitar makes a sound and that you can use that and using sound and a physicality and, and the idea of using volume and the physicality of that and that to try and control that within the space with your body and is what interests me more than the technicalities behind playing a guitar. I don't think they have guitar teachers that teach that though you know it's no. not something that you're you know it's it's maybe revolutionary in a way maybe, maybe. Yeah. Gemma school. should do that maybe right? I'll open my own school of uh, yeah. feedback, feedback training after a short break we'll have more of our conversation and performance from Savages and later in the show we review new releases from electronic hip hop artist DJ Shadow and neo soul singer Maxwell that's all in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. He's Greg Cott, and that is the song Sad Person from our guest this week, Savages. That tune is off the latest album, Adore Life, a record that Greg and I both loved, one of the best of 2016 so far. A few weeks ago, Savages dropped by the studio for a conversation and performance, and one of this group's strengths is its members' abilities to communicate the truth with the audience. I wanted to know what the connection with the crowd felt like for them and how they weave the theme of acceptance into their music. 
yeah, it's about freedom. It's about finding the freedom in what we do and to be able to, for people to find freedom in love and, you know, in acceptance. Music is a great medium for that. I think music has been bringing people together for forever. Mm. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a, you know, when you're in a room and you're playing, I think you see these people and it brings the, the good out of them, you know. Maybe more than if you would meet them in the street. Uh, how about another song? What are you going to play? What about we play evil? I think it's got to get evil in here right now. <laughs> yeah.
Evil by Savages, live on Sound Opinions. We are talking to Jenny Beth, Gemma Thompson, Isa Hassan, and Faye Milton. What you were doing at the end there, Faye, to that symbol, that was evil. Uh, another key song on this record is I Think I Need Something New. Here's a band that loves manifestos. It seems like here, this is a manifesto in this song. And it seemed like this, this sort of took place organically. Faye, it sounded like this came out of you guys playing live and, and improvising the song on stage in some ways. I mean, if I'm getting that story right. Is that right? Yeah, I need something new. Yeah, it, it came, I think, first from a, a spoken word piece, then with some improvisation underneath, and then we, we played the Station to Station event in Oakland and, and sort of put the song together to that and turned it into a, what, what it is now. And it, it was one of the songs we didn't, in a, in a way, think might make the record but when we recorded it we just really loved how it sounded you say it's impossible true to make things possible i'm trying my best to make it possible every day yeah yeah i'm kicking the wall kicking the wall yeah i'm kicking the wall i'm kicking the wall because i'm something How does a band react when, when something like that occurs on stage? It's sort of a spontaneous moment, right? Yeah, I mean, we have a few improvised moments on stage. The difficult thing is when you're touring and you, you're playing a show every night is to to keep it surprising. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we, we always try and mix things around a bit. And still, even if we're doing the same, you know, improvisation in the same place in a song, for example. Well, in between albums number one and two, you did a really daring, interesting improvisational record. Somebody tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, West to the Blind. Yeah, West, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was with our friends Boningen. I don't know if you know these guys, but they're... Mm -hmm. um, I did not know them before you did the record with them. Okay, yeah, they're fantastic. They're from London, but they're born in Japan. They're incredible. And, oh, Gemma, would you remember how it started? So you have I a big time. I do plan. remember. Yeah, you do. We were recording Silence Yourself for three weeks, and we had one day off. <clears throat> and we went to see Boningen play. And the next morning afterwards, just before we went in the studio, Johnny, who was producing that record too, said, wouldn't it be great to see both bands performing at the same time in the same room? And I thought, why don't we do um, a Dada simultaneous poetry, but make it a simultaneous sonic poetry? And that the idea of that was so kind of felt very relevant for what we were doing and the voices we had. And I mean, the, the absurd kind of idea from Dada w was, was basically a defiance against atrocities in the world and the idea that you know what, there's no common sense that can stop this. And the only way to do it is to try and make all our voices heard. And it's interesting to me too that, you know, here's the follow-up in some ways to your first record, which got a lot of attention. That's not something that a careerist band would do. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, I can just imagine some record company or a manager or something saying, that, that, that's the wrong move. You don't want to make that move right now. you got to make a follow-up record. So it's, it's interesting <laughs> that you were able to do this kind of a project. Did you encounter yeah. any sort of resistance in it, doing something like that? It was about a year yeah. to get it into physicality. 
Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and the first time we did it, we built the stage with our own hands from a massive <laughs> lorry. So <laughs> I remember it very That's well. <laughs> what you're saying is part of the decision to make it. It's it's uh, it's almost I want to say political, even if it's mm-hmm. not politics, but it's political in a way. It's like a young band with another young band, and we're going to do something together. We're just going to do art. So three years ago, your first appearance in Chicago was on Sound Opinions, the first big American tour behind the first album. A lot of living since then. You've played gigantic festivals. You've been back in the studio. So I wanted to ask the best or the worst experience of the ride that's been Savages, the one that really sticks out. I don't know. The best thing for me has always been the process, I think. It's being able to have that amount of time to focus on just purely one thing and all of the you know stuff that comes with it but when you're so focused on one project on one thing that you don't have to think about anything else and that's actually a a real rarity in life I think to be able to put everything else down and be like this is what I'm working on now. Isa? For me it would be kind of the great irony that comes with being in, in a position where you can tour the world and kind of meet your idols and and so on but equally the things you miss out on in life back home for example recently someone I knew quite closely closely died and it was like basically for me it kind of reminds me that you can never have everything at one time and you kind of have to enjoy things as you go along because it's it really is kind of uh, oh I hate to say it but some bizarre journey where you you're kind of um you just have to appreciate things and, and, and respond to things as you go along because things are forever changing. Has, has it changed your attitude at all? I think I sensed on the first time around, you know, a lot of people did not know who you were or were curious, had heard a few things, but that was it. And you walk in there with the attitude, I think, in some ways of, you know, we're going we're gonna to put our imprint on this person's subconscious, you know. They're not going to forget us. Does your attitude change at all now that people have you've gotten this acclaim and you've got a record under your belt and another one on, you know, out the door. Does your attitude change about what you're stepping on that stage to do? I think maybe for each of us, we might have a different response to that. But for me, it's always a, f- about kind of doing the best that I can on stage and, and being the best musician possible. And that's why we, we continue to try and do these these projects with bone bands like Boningen and because it's kind of constantly pushing us to be better at w- what we do and trying to learn new ways of, you know, playing our instrument uh, instruments or, you know, just constantly trying to push yourself to be better at what you do because mm-hmm. you can never, I, I don't believe you can be the best at something. There's always, everything's, you know, you can always do better. We're going to get one more song from yeah. Savages, right? Yeah, if you want to. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> well, what are you going to play, Jenny? Well, we thought we should play the answer, which ah. is the track that open opens the record. Thank you. 
The answer from Savages on Sound Opinions, that's Jenny, Gemma, Aisha, and Faye. And we are thrilled that you guys came in again. Second time through for, for Savages. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for, thanks having, us for having us. Thank you. If you want more from our conversation with Savages, visit soundopinions.org for video of the band performing in our studio. Now we want to hear from you. Do you have an opinion on Savages or anything else in the musical universe? Leave us a message at 888-859-1800. After the break, we'll dig into new releases by DJ Shadow and Maxwell. That's In a Minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions. That is a little bit of Lake by the Ocean from the fifth album by Maxwell, Black Summer's Night. Greg, his first record in seven years. We've been a fan of Maxwell for a long time. Born in 1973, Maxwell grew up in Brooklyn, New York. His family was Puerto Rican and Caribbean. He didn't start making music until age 17, although before that he'd been singing in the Baptist church, like so many great soul and R&B performers. 17, he gets himself a Casio keyboard, begins playing around the New York music scene, and in 1994, he signed to Columbia Records, and he drops his debut, Urban Hang Suite. You know, uh, many of the typical soul and R&B touchstones, uh, key influences, Marvin Gaye, a whole lot of Prince, right? But he emerges as part of that neo-soul movement in the mid-90s with other key players such as D'Angelo and Erica Badu. He has not been incredibly prolific. As I said, it's been seven years since Maxwell's last album. At that point, he gave us an album called Black Summer's Night that he said was going to be the first of a trilogy. It took a long time for him to get to the second installment, which has the same name, Black Summer's Night, except some of the letters are capitalized one way in the first album and another way in the second a little bit confusing. He's been working for a long time with a producer named Todd David. He's here again on board for this record. Let's play a track and we'll come back and we'll give our opinions. This is the song that kicks off the album. It's called All the Ways Love Can Feel by Maxwell from Black Summer's Night on Sound Opinions. I see your face, you see my face. All the ways love can feel from the latest Maxwell album, Black Summer's Night. Uh, You mentioned his first in seven years. You know, he's calling it the second of a trilogy. I'd say all five 
Maxwell albums really are of a piece, Jim. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's not that you can't tell them apart, but they really are an island unto themselves. When you think about contemporary R&B and what it represents and who the stars are in that genre, uh, Maxwell really stands apart. I really think he's a, a counterpart in many ways to uh, the UK singer Charday. You know, uh, no one really quite sounds like her. It's sort of vaguely androgynous. There's sort of this exotic allure about it, kind of unknowable, a little bit remote. You know, and the fact that he's working with this producer, Hod David, uh, his guitar player in his, in his band, ensures that he's not going to sound like anybody else. He's not hiring the latest hot name to produce no. his record. He doesn't load up on cameos from the new rapper or, you know, Rihanna, you know, singing the obligatory, you know, vocal chorus. He's doing it all on his own, and he's done this from the very start, that uh, very first record, Urban Hang Suite, which came out unbelievably 20 years ago. Yeah, I can't this believe that. This guy's been around two decades. You know, the, the, the sound, you know, horns, live drumming, very agile, kind of almost jazz-tinged kind of drumming, Bass line's kind of out front in the mix. Uh, the keyboards are shimmering, creating this atmosphere. His singing, uh, you know, he was noted for that falsetto, but on this album, I'm hearing some real grit. You know, in that song, Gods, I think it encapsulates for me what makes his idea of a bedroom jam so interesting. I and mean, when you think bedroom jam, it's kind of one-dimensional. You kind of know where you're going with it. I was it, waiting you know? for you to get that. <laughs> well, you can't talk, not talk about the boudoir when right. you talk about this song. But at the same time, he is, there's a complexity to what he's talking about. These relationships are complicated, and I think that's what makes his music so uh, fascinating and so worth listening to for more than just that one purpose of, hey, I'm going to put this on in the background as my bedroom jam. In that song, he says, you play the game of gods, and it's hard to say whether he's being admiring or a little bit disappointed in the person he's directing that to. How can I do unto you? That's the kind of uh, lyrical density that I think really fascinates me about Maxwell and, and his songs. Uh, this is another Buy It album for me from Maxwell. I couldn't agree more, and you hit on so many points there, there's very little left for me to say except to underscore the word you used, androgyny. It's not necessarily uh, you know, the male libido front and center. I mean, this is, couldn't be further away from the world of R. Kelly. I think there's a lot in common with Prince at his best uh, in that way, in that you don't really know. Uh, gender gets lost in the mix a lot of times, although he's clearly, especially on the grittier songs, clearly uh, a, a very randy male, let's put it that way. But uh, still, there's a respect, I think, for relationships and for love uh, that permeates all of these songs in a way that Prince often did, as I said. And I think of all the artists who uh, have taken part in the big Prince tributes of late, Janelle Monet and Maxwell are the two who really got it right. It's absolutely a bite album. I couldn't agree more. Picture this. I'm a bag of... Put me to your lips. I am sick. I will punch a baby bear in his... Give me lip. I'm going to send you to the yard. Get a stick. Make a switch. I can end the conversation real quick. I am... 
That is Nobody Speak from the new DJ Shadow record, The Mountain Will Fall. You'll recognize those voices. They have been guests on Sound Opinions before. Yep. Run the Jewels is uh, the guest vocalist, Killer Mike and LP, uh, guesting with uh, Josh Davis, otherwise known as DJ Shadow, on that particular record. They are all children of the 90s underground hip-hop scene, and it's great to see them together on one track. Uh, DJ Shadow, as I mentioned, coming out of California, the underground hip-hop scene, early 90s. He was a big member of that Northern California hip-hop scene that included people like Latirix and Dan the Automator, co-founded the Soul Sides label, put out a lot of really important records in the early to mid-90s. Uh, DJ Shadow's debut album, Introducing, came out in 1996, uh, was acclaimed as one of the greatest and perhaps the very first completely sample-based record uh, to ever appear. He basically used a sampling drum machine, two turntables, and Pro Tools software to make that entire record, and it is amazing, incredibly detailed, incredibly dense, for many the height of electronic composing. Uh, The one problem with making a masterpiece your first time out, everything you do afterward is going to be compared to it. It's hard to live up to it. It's a hard hard thing to live up to, for sure. He has made uh, several albums since. Uh, Been putting out albums every two or three years. There's been a pretty long gap between uh, the current record and the last one. Uh, The Less You Know, The Better came out in 2011. Now we have The Mountain Will Fall. We're going to play a track before we review it. It's called The Side Show, featuring another guest vocalist, MC Ernie Fresh, from The Mountain Will Fall by DJ Shadow on Sound Opinions. The sound you are hearing is a relatively new one. Who is making the sound? That was the sideshow from The Mountain Will Fall, the eagerly anticipated by some anyway, Greg, a new album from DJ Shadow. Is Shadow doing anything different from the landmark introducing album? You, you were saying Maxwell 20 years ago. Same thing with Shadow. It's hard to believe introducing came out 20 years ago. It sounds like yesterday. It's so fresh. 
No. There are fewer samples. Uh, it's not exclusively sample-based here. He's also uh, playing a lot of analog synthesizer. As we said, he never did a lot of collaboration. There are a few on this record, most notably with Run the Jewels. It's not an easy listen. There are moments of sheer frivolity, uh, some very good ones. I kind of like the track Mambo. It's, it's ticking other people off, though. The rhythm is Mambo together. Mumbo together. And then there are moments that are just in, intentionally grating. You know, this is a soundtrack for this media-saturated, vaguely ominous, threatened by, by seemingly everything, you know, from nature to terrorism times, you know, uh, but so was introducing. You know, things haven't gotten a lot better in 20 years. If anything, they could be worse today. I like this album a lot, but it is not an easy listen. It takes some commitment. You have to spend some time with it. Shadow has been on a great journey now for all of his career. This is not introducing, but what could be. Nevertheless, I'll give it a buy it. For me, Jim, uh, the one thing about DJ Shadow is that he's never really made an album since introducing that hangs together as well as an album. Very cohesive in the way that introducing was put together. I think that's what people loved about the intricacy uh, turning into a complete listening experience. He's still challenging himself. I mean, there's even a bit of like EDM on this record that he sort of plays around with. Yeah, tongue in cheek, I think. It's sort of like a little nod to this genre that's come up and and sort of usurped a lot of electronic uh, dance music. But there's also Italian classical music. There's, you know, this collaboration with this German electronic composer, Nils Fromm. You know, he's got the two old school tracks that we played, you know, the collaboration with Run the Jewels that was just meant to be. I think a lot of uh, old hip-hop heads wanted to hear those three people in a room and see what they could do, and they don't let us down. The Sideshow is an example of Shadow. Okay, I'm just going to scratch a little bit on this turntable and, you know, go back to the old-school early 90s thing, but then you've got these very modern tracks. So it's kind of a hodgepodge of stuff that is interesting to DJ Shadow. And really, every record since uh, the first one has been him sort of playing around with stuff in the hip-hop world that is interesting him at that moment. So in that respect, he never repeats himself, and at the same time, he's never equaled introducing. This record is no exception. It's a fine record, but I would say if you're not a hardcore DJ Shadow fan, you know you want, might want to be a little cautious before you put down your hard-earned cash for it. So I would say it's a try-it record for me. So that's a try-it from Greg, a more generous buy-it from me. What do we have on the show next week, Mr. God? Well, Jim, we got a lot of politicians running around, and uh, they inevitably have music that stinks so we're going to give them a few <laughs> so we're going to give them a few suggestions for campaign songs on our next show better campaign songs from us we have some thank yous to say on the way out Andrew Gill and Adam Yaffe helped enormously during our session with Savages. Sound Opinions is produced by Brendan Banizak, Evan Chung Alex Claiborne and our intern Daphne McGlean On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hey, Greg and Jim. This is Mike in Chicago. Just got done listening to your Best of 2016 show, which was fantastic. 
You definitely overlooked something, though. Um, the new Car Seat Headrest album that came out this year is just fantastic. And then I saw Jesus, and he said... is one of the uh, best songwriters in indie rock right now. His lyrics are just very, uh, they, they, they capture angst and anxiety of being a 20-something brilliantly. Uh, his voice is this wonderful mix between um, Stephen Malcolmus and Julian Casablancas. And um, Teens of Denial is uh, my favorite record so far this year, so I hope they can give us some love. Thank you. I live in Bradenton, Florida, and I didn't know if you've spoken about this record yet, but Sean Lennon and Les Claypool um, are friends, and they formed a band that they're calling the Claypool Lennon Delirium, and their one record that they've put out and are touring right now is called The Monolith of Phobos, and it is phenomenal. Thank you. It stares buzz in the eye It bids him question why We live and do or die The monolith of Phobos It stares buzz in the eye On a tater-shaped moon That's falling from the sky Matthew from Nashville, Tennessee calling uh, Just got done listening to your Best of 2016 so far episode Good picks, all of them, although I do think it is an absolute crime not to include Aesop Rocks, the impossible kid. Used to draw, hard to admit that I used to draw. Portraiture in a human form, doodle of a two-headed unicorn. It was soothing, moving his arm in a fusion of man-made tools and amused from beyond, even if it went beautifully wrong. It was tangible truth for a youth to refuse to belong. No-name nuisance, who's in a bedroom, who's in a brand-new cuneiform. Uh, the guy's been doing it underground for about 20 years, and this is certainly his most accessible and personal record yet. I think it deserves a second look. Keep up the good work, guys. Thanks.
Bernie Worrell was one of the greatest musicians uh, in the past 50 years by far. Thank you. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.